Well, welcome. Uh, it's good to see all of you. Debbie and I, as you know, took a few weeks off at the end of the year, and we are refreshed and ready to go. And I'll begin a series next weekend called My Best Friend, the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit for six weeks, uh, beginning next weekend. And so um, please be here for that. Uh, welcome to the South Lake Campus. Welcome, North Richland Hills Campus. Welcome to those who are in overflow right now and those watching on the web. Glad that you're here. We're beginning our first conference. Now, not our first conference, but our first conference. <laughs> our conference called First. It's where we give the first of our year to the Lord. And uh, tonight at 6 p.m., uh, Marcus Lamb, I noticed Marcus is right down here on the front row. Uh, Marcus and Joni are members of uh, Gateway Church. Marcus and Joni founded the Daystar Television Network. All of us watch that. We're blessed by the programs. Uh, it is the fastest growing Christian television network in the world. And Debbie and I have gotten to know Marcus and Joni very well, uh, great friends, and we are so impressed with their love for the Lord, their humility, and their integrity, and their desire to get the word all over the world. So you'll love hearing Marcus tonight at 6, tomorrow night at 7, uh, Paul DeYoung. Paul is the pastor of the largest church in New Zealand. His best friend is a guy that you might know named Brian Houston of Hillsong. And Brian and Paul were raised in the same church and sent out together then to pastor. And uh, so he'll be Monday night. Tuesday night is Mark Rutland. And Mark is the president of a seminary. He has been a pastor and uh, Mark's never been here, but Mark is one of the greatest speakers you will ever hear in your life. And I, I just wanted to give you a little introduction, and, and he probably will not appreciate the introduction I'm giving him, but I asked Pastor Jack if this was okay, and he said, I think it's fine. Um, Mark didn't do that well as a pastor. <laughs> not that uh, the church didn't grow. It was actually a very large church and grew and was in the thousands, and, and thousands of people saved, wonderful church. But he just didn't have that pastoral gifting, you know. And uh, Here's a story. He was counseling with a woman one time, and she was just going on and on about her husband and what a louse he was and uh, how much he drank, and he just drinks like a fish, and she's just going on and on, and it had been about an hour. And finally, he said, lady, I've just known you a short while, and already I want to take a drink. <laughs> so... So he just didn't work out as a pastor, okay? <laughs> but he did not succumb to drinking. I do, I do, I do want to make that point. But Mark is wonderful. He's excellent. And then that's Tuesday night. Then Wednesday night is Dr. Ken Ulmer. We all know Dr. Ulmer. He's been here many times. And uh, uh, he can uh, preach the wallpaper off the walls. I mean, so you'll, you'll want to be here. Now, let me say this. The conference will be at both campuses so you can attend South Lake or North Richland Hills. It will be broadcast live to the NRH campus, live worship over there with a the worship team. And then when we begin the message, it will be broadcast a simulcast to North Richland Hills. So come at the North Richland Hills campus. And then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, it's a 30-minute delay. Uh, but at 7.30, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, it will be broadcast on the Daystar television network. And the reason I'm telling you that is not because I don't want you to come, but if you couldn't come for some reason, 
uh, or if you'd like to call your friends or your family that live somewhere else, they could tune in to Daystar and watch the conference begin at 7.30. So I've given you some times. Tonight is, begins at what time? Six. Tomorrow night, Tuesday and Wednesday at seven, and on the Daystar network at 7.30. All right. Now, having said all that, here's, here's the, we get great speakers, wonderful speakers. Here's the main thing. This is a time when God does something in us as a congregation, new and fresh for this year. So I am pleading with you as your pastor, come. Come early, talk to people, get you a seat, come at least 30 minutes early, at least. Walk around, meet some people maybe that go to another service that you, you, may, you might even meet your next door neighbor that comes to church here that you've never seen because he or she goes to another service or another campus. So come early, let's pack the place out, and let's, every night that you can come, and let's come not just to hear a good message, but to really have God do a work in our hearts. Can you do that? Come prepared in your heart for God to do a work. Well, we begin the conference this morning with a, a, a tremendous friend of ours who's been here many times. Uh, in my opinion, he is the Apostle Paul of our generation. Uh, he's written over 50 books. Uh, I've read most of those books. They speak to me. If you, anytime you can get your hand on a Jack Hayford book, you need to get it. Uh, he's written over 600 hymns, including the song Majesty that uh, all of us have sung at some time or another. He's the founder of Church on the Way, Van Nuys, California, which is a church that's ministered all over the world. Uh, 31 years he pastored that church. He also is the founder and chancellor of King's College and Seminary. Uh, more importantly, by God's grace, by God's grace, he has been given to our church as a spiritual father. And uh, there are many teachers, the Bible says, but few fathers. And we are so grateful for this relationship. Will you give a warm and honoring welcome, please, to Dr. Jack Hayford. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, everybody. It's uh, about as happy a thing as can happen to Anna and me at the beginning of this year is to get to be here and to be with a number of friends that we've come to know through the uh, recent years of familiarity and partnership with Gateway Church. And, uh, of course, being with uh, Robert and Debbie is just a happy thing to us. And I, I want to thank you for the warmth of your welcome. And uh, Anna was not with me when I was here last time, and she is for this trip, and she looks bundled up against the Texas cold. We Southern Californians, we got in yesterday here, and about, I was amazed at the temperature yesterday. <laughs> Folks, I don't know if you noticed it, but it changed. <laughs> uh, honey, stand up. This is my wife of 54 years of marriage. <clears throat> We uh, got married when we were 20. I always hasten to say that because when you say you've been married that long, people think, man, dear God, how old are those people, you know? <clears throat> and so now you figured it out, add another 20 to the 54. And uh, the, the two of us have become uh, 32 now, 32 people, with our children and then their spouses and our, our grandchildren, and uh, many of them are married. We have 11 grandkids. And uh, then our great-grandchildren, we have five 
I've added three great-grandkids just this year. And there's 32 of us in the whole clan. And 29 uh, of us were together for Thanksgiving. They came to our house from Wisconsin, from Alberta, Canada, from uh, Colorado, and then from parts of Southern California. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful time. And it's a joy to uh, be with that family, but any part of the family that we get to enjoy, including the family of the Lord, is uh, a joy to us. Mentioning uh, our grandparenthood and great-grandparenthood uh, occasions, my uh, telling a story that is to get you ready for us opening the Bible. Would you get ready, get your Bible in hand, because I'm going to ask you to turn uh, to the text in just a moment. Uh, but I have to tell you this, uh, this story. It's a grandchild story. Uh, anytime anybody says they're going to tell you a story about one of their grandchildren, if, if you, like me, would be very inclined to turn off right then, because if there's anything I've learned about grandchild stories, it's that they're really only interesting to the person telling them. <clears throat> and, uh, but uh, I'm going to tell you this one, and it will be of interest to you. In fact, you'll like it. And uh, I've, it has to do with Kyle. Kyle, in fact, was just licensed about three years ago as a, a pastor and is a very effective pastoral leader and a young man in his middle 20s. And uh, he and Teresa got married about six years ago, and they have three of our five great-grandkids, the most recent just being born a few weeks ago, a couple of months ago. And uh, as we uh, just think about our great-grandparenthood, I'm thinking about Kyle and his great-grandma, my mom. Kyle was over at my mom's house, and she told us the story of what happened that day when she reached over to help him. He was playing on the floor, five years old at the time. <clears throat> she reached over to help him do something, and her hand came right under his, his eyes. And he had never noticed up close his great-grandma's hand until that moment, his hand of an elderly person, pronounced vessels, bony fingers, wrinkled skin. Kind of a lot like that hand <laughs> right there. And uh, when he saw that, he was a very expressive kid, always has been, and he just, he, he really became disturbed. Great grandma, what happened to your hand? He was really, really upset, and she, she laughed, and she said, well, Kyle, nothing's, nothing's wrong with great grandma's hand, it's just old. And he said, old? How old are you? <laughs> and she laughed again, she said, well, great grandma's 70. Kyle said, 70? And he looked suspiciously at her, 70. Did you start at one? <laughs> As we open the Word of God this morning, we come not to the first book of the Bible, but we come to the first conference and the first session of it. And I'm privileged to be a part and as we open the Word of God, I want to ask you to join me in an expectation. Don't turn there yet, but I want you to turn to the book of Revelation. But I don't want you to turn thinking how we ordinarily do when we come to the book of Revelation. I don't mean that it's unworthy that we come thinking about things of the future and wondering what nuance this particular speaker will bring to the usual things of insight we've received. Some of them may be slightly bizarre when peculiar interpretations are given. Uh, there's something that it psychs speculation rather than just pragmatic attention when we come to the book of Revelation. 
And I'm not intending to debunk anything that is of interest to you in that book. But to say that I want you to come and hear not something about the future, but about the moment. I want you to hear something so very practical from the lips of Jesus. That today we will have what the book of Revelation really is. It's in the opening words, the revelation of Jesus Christ. It really isn't so much about the end times as it about the purpose of God in us wherever we are in the process of those times. And where we are is here in early January of a new year. I think it's such a commendable thing that is done as your pastoral leadership brings you to a time and your responsiveness to it is so commendable. To come and say, Lord, we want to find your way for us in this year. Hear your voice. Heed your word. And I want us to start by looking into the word of God in Revelation chapter 3, please. If you'll turn there with me. And I want to ask you to notice with me a single word that occurs three times within the span of 17 verses. I had never noticed this recurrent reference in so compact an area in the book of Revelation until recently. And it's when my heart was ignited with this message. When several weeks ago, uh, Robert invited me to come and be with you on this opening session of the first conference that's going on these successive days, continuing tonight at 6 o'clock. I was grateful, of course, for the invitation, but I immediately was drawn to what I had just found just in my own devotional reading of the scripture. And in fact, I was amazed. I was amazed that having as much familiarity with 52 years of pastoring, of familiarity with the word of the scriptures, familiarity with the book of Revelation, which I've taught through many times, that I had never noticed that the word door occurs three times within 17 verses. And the reasons I'd not noticed it is because in each reference there's a different context. The particular setting in chapter 4, verse 1, which immediately I'll read to you, but in chapter 4, verse 1, you've crossed over into a new chapter, and it's, it is something different. But there is a knit between that and in the last part of chapter 3, in the letter to the church at Laodicea, the reference to a door, and in the preceding, the sixth letter of the book of Revelation, the letter to Philadelphia church, that it's mentioned. And the linkage in those three, though they have the common context of Jesus speaking to his people. And that's why it is not a stretch of the text for us to see its relevance to us today. Because it's not something that we open ever the word of God to analyze history, but to examine the prophetic message that is inherent through the whole word of God that always speaks to hearing hearts. And it's what awakens, brings life to us individually, which makes a living congregation where people hear the word of the Lord. And it's not simply hearing it as a recitation, but as a present announcement of the Lord saying, this is you and it's for you. As we look into these uh, few verses that I want you to notice, I'm only going to read uh, six of the 17 verses, and I'll ask you to join me in chapter 3, verse 7, as I read first. This is Jesus is the spokesperson, and he says to the angel, or the messenger of the church in Philadelphia. Philadelphia was one of seven cities that are addressed. They were churches in ancient, uh, what is today the southwest part of Turkey, an area that would be about the size of central Texas, perhaps 300 miles each way. And as uh, these letters were written to these 
uh, church congregations. They summarize things that Jesus was saying and continues to say to the whole church. And that's why we will read in a moment the urgency of his own reminder here what the Spirit is saying to the church. Jesus himself says this is not past tense. It was not only that moment, but the timeless moment of the Word of God speaking to us. These things, verse 7, these things says he who is holy, he who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Would you say these words with me from verse 8? See, I have set before you an open door. Please join me. See, set before you an open door. Would you please do it one more time? See, I have set before you an open door. Let me continue. The word is door. It occurs the second time, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I'll grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. We just were singing some of that very thing. Jesus, you overcame. We overcome through the blood of the lamb, the word of his testimony. Verse 22, concluding that chapter, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the church. Then bumping over into chapter 4, that boundary marker, so oftentimes we completely separate things. After these things, he said, I looked and behold a door. And it's the third reference, the third mention of a door. I've set before you an open door, stand at the door and knock. And then after these things, there was the door standing open in heaven. The voice I heard like a trumpet was speaking with me saying, come up here. I'll show you things that must take place after this. I want to do this in just the very next few moments. I want to talk first about that reference to the open door that has been irrevocably opened by the hand of the Lord. See, I've set before you an open door. Nobody can shut it. We'll come back to the second reference that says the open door, there's a side of this issue to you. I'm knocking at the door. We'll come back there. Then. Secondly, before we come back to that second reference, I want to have you capture with me very briefly why John was summoned to step through this door into the invisible realm of the throne of God, heaven itself, and there behold the creator, because that's what happens when he steps through that door in chapter 4. But come with me first to see, I have set before you an open door. There is something so simple and at the same time profound, something that presses on my spirit as I share with you this morning, because there is a passion in my heart for us to hear the passion of Jesus' heart when he says, see, see, lift your eyes, look, I'm opening something for you. The simple word that occurs there, idu, that's translated behold or see, is a command, and it's an attention getter. 
the old King James would say, behold, behold, behold. It almost becomes a, a word that's intoned, behold. Becomes kind of a, a resonant religious sound to it. And that C makes it far more direct and simple. But the behold really says, there's a B in that that is just a play on words in our language, but it's come to the moment. Hold to the moment and see it. And the passion of the heart of the Lord, look, coming with an imperative, a command, is something that is, we'll shortly say, and hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. If you have ears to hear, look and see. Listen, hear. The word of the Lord about this open door is something that has as many different implications and applications as people in the room. And the challenge any time that you minister with the word of God is to what degree will hearts hear that this is more than a discourse, but it's the heart of the Lord calling to you saying, you hear, you see, because he has a door opened for you. I don't know what the implications of that terminology may be for you. There are people that are in downcast by reason of circumstances and they wonder about the future and the says, Lord says, don't wonder anymore. Lift your head and look. There's an open door. For whom is it the door to something that's on the order of a prison door or a cage door? Something you've trapped in. Maybe a trap you've put yourself in. Something you wish you could find your way out of. And Jesus is saying, there's an open door. Maybe the prospects seem gloomy or there's a prospect of a possibility and you say, praise God, there's an opportunity and the Lord is wanting to say to you right now, if indeed you have sought him about it and you feel the quickening of that opportunity saying, that's right, I'm with you in that. Go ahead, I'm with you. But it's his door and it will always be consistent with his ways, his word, his will. It is not a random thing that comes to our mind say, I wonder if this is it, we'll know. And it's responding to what we know. As I'll point out in a few moments once more, when he says, I'm standing at the door knocking. Literally, it's in the present tense. In fact, it's in the past, the past perfect, which means this began earlier and is continuing to the moment. Saying, behold, or look, I'm standing at the door. And I have been knocking continually. There's someone here in the room right now, and doubtless more than one, who there is something the Lord has been dealing with you about, seeking to capture your attention. And it's not because he's angry. It'll always be loving concern, maybe something that we resist because of our sense of weakness to overcome. And great encouragement comes, whether it's the prospect of what we're being called to, to step through an open door, or whether it's something that would stretch our faith beyond our capacity to say, I, I, I really believe that's something God would have me believe for, but I can't imagine myself possessing it. Because the next words that he says, I've set before you this open door, he says, for you have a little strength. You have a little strength. <laughs> that awakens a very uh, tender memory to my mind. I want to share that in a moment, but he explains why. There's, you have a little strength. He says two things. He said, you have kept my word, and you have not denied my name. 
listen, two things. He says, you have a reverence for my word. You may not be an expert at all, but the word of God is important to you. It's why you're here today. You have a reverence for my word, and you have a will to honor my name. So it's the very simple facts of our regard for his word as it speaks to us and his person as he comes in his presence to deal with us. And the Lord says, that's what it is that gives you a little strength. A little strength sometimes would be not so much of a compliment, I suppose, if it weren't backed up by the person who is the one who says, when I open a door, nobody can close it. And when I close it, nobody can open it. And as we'll see in chapter 4, he's the one who, having created all things and calls us to step into his presence, be reminded of that, says there's not anything that I can't do either. And I think of that, you have a little strength, but it's being spoken to us by the one that has all power and all authority, as we sang earlier. And I think of something that happened to me when I was a little boy. I was about six years old when it happened, but the background to it is my earliest memories of my dad were whenever I thought about this particular thing of my father, was his, the, the, his muscles, his biceps. My dad had, he, he'd been a boxer when he was in the Navy. Uh, he was uh, uh, just a, not impressed and, or trying to impress anyone, but he was just a, a strong man. And often I'd be, in my earliest memories, working with my dad in the simplest chores. Something would happen and you see something's, He's lifting his end of something. I'm being asked to do a small thing to partner with him. Little strength down there. Here's some more strength here, a whole lot more. And his muscles might bulge a little bit. And once sometimes I'd say, Daddy, just let me feel your muscle. And, I'd just, and so he'd, he'd make, make the bicep pop up there. And you touch that, man, feel that. It's just like a rock. It was just, I, I love that. In fact, I sometimes, he, he was in the Navy, he'd had a... a tattoo put on his left arm of a clipper ship with all the sails. There's times he'd be working and you'd swear that those sails were blowing because of the ripple of the muscles, you know. It was, it was something to see. And I remember one morning, I was about six years old, I got up and I was just stretching and I looked. There's a bump. There's just, there's just a bump there. And I felt so good about that. I've got a muscle starting there. And that afternoon, my dad got home from work. I went in, and my dad was reading the newspaper, clear as memory as anything. And I said, Daddy, I want to show you something. I stood there, and I made the muscle. I said, look at my muscle. My dad leaned over, and he just went like this with his fingers. And he said, son, that's really good. <laughs> I got to tell you, I got the approval of the guy with all the muscles. You have a little strength. The significance of that is the Lord saying, you may feel you can't open the door and you can't keep it open, but I'll take care of that. And I'm the one that will meet you there when you come through the door, which takes us to the second reference, which is really the third in sequence we read, and it's there in verse 1 of chapter 4, when John is invited to step into the throne room of heaven. He said, I heard a voice like a trumpet. He's referencing the voice of Jesus. He's referencing what he heard in chapter 1. That's the way it's described, a voice like a trumpet. And it's the voice that's saying, saying, come up here. Step through this door. I saw an open door. Step up here. The Lord is saying, if you wonder about what you see open before you here, 
first, if you begin to wonder, just step into the presence of the throne room of heaven, which is exactly where John comes. Now, everyone, please say, Revelation chapter 4. Now, there were five people that didn't say it. Now, come on, let's, everybody, come on, please. Revelation chapter 4. Okay, it's chapter what? Four. Book of? Revelation. I'm not just teasing you, and I'm not going to insult your intelligence by think, anybody thinking that's just for fun and games. You'll remember that. Revelation 4. Please, before you go to bed tonight, before you get into the 